Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 343. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today I've got a really fun and interesting conversation to share with you all about managing up. Ugh, I feel like managing up is such a necessary but kind of unpleasant conversation. I don't know. As someone who manages people, I felt a little called out in our conversation, uh, which you'll hear in a moment. I'm very honest about it with my guests because... Managing people is hard. Being managed by people who are not good at managing people is harder. (laughs) So we kind of look at it from both perspectives today. Jennifer Chapman uh, is an awesome leadership coach and expert who specializes in working with STEM managers on their people skills. And so she was the perfect guest to join us in talking through all right, what does managing up really mean? What does it look like? How do you deal with bosses who might be micromanagers or the opposite, who might be absentee managers? Or, and this is where I felt a little called out, how do you manage a boss who's always too busy? (laughs) I'm excited to hear what you take away from this conversation because Jennifer shares some really practical advice for how to navigate this all too common situation of having to not just be managed, but manage up as well. For a little bit of background first, Jennifer Chapman uh, used to be a workaholic known as the go-to person for getting things done and managing the most difficult clients at a Fortune 500 consulting firm. She thrived in challenging situations, proving to others time and again that she was invincible. But... Was she? I don't know. Eventually, Jennifer's mental and physical health began to suffer. That's called being a human in a very demanding work environment, right? So she decided to pivot to create a new professional and personal life that aligned with what she valued most. And she continues to bring her authentic self to all of her work today as an expert leadership coach who works with STEM managers and leaders who want to increase productivity and performance by strengthening their confidence and people skills. Jennifer, welcome to the Bossed Up podcast. Well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So first, tell me a little bit about how you went from workaholic to crafting this career that you've built for yourself really on your own terms. Well, I remember the day that I was at this big consulting firm and they did massive layoffs of the level before me or above me. And it was all an an effort to just get rid of high paying salaries. Mm. And the company had gone public the year before. 
And I got this call and they said, hey, we're going to triple the size of the your direct reports. Wow. And we are going to double the size of your work portfolio. Oh, and by the way, you'll be leading X number of proposal teams uh, in your free time. And I oh asked, goodness. I said, so is this a promotion? They said, no, same title, <laughs> same salary. And I said, hmm, yes. I don't think that's going to work for me. And so I, uh, I hung up the phone and dusted off a business plan that I had worked mm-hmm. on, but that was more of a longer term thing. And I thought if I'm going to work so hard and so many hours, it's going to be for myself and I set my last day as uh, leap day of 2012 <laughs> and I leapt and it's been such, it's just was super empowering and it, it's definitely had ups and downs, but overall I love it. And it's really been on me now with the <laughs> workaholic mm-hmm. syndrome. I do find myself having to check back in and say, okay, where are the boundaries? And I, I think that's something I'm always going to have to manage. Mm-hmm. But it's really, for me, been a lot easier to do that, just having to please myself and not worry so much about making everybody else around me happy. Totally. I think that's a really interesting distinction. And so today as a leadership coach, do you focus on any kind of particular leadership offerings and, 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 you know, career coaching in particular? I love working with the STEM industry. Mm -hmm. Most of my clients are in science, technology, engineering, or finance. And I love working with really task focused individuals Mm. who struggle more on the people side. The people part of it's not as intuitive. And a lot of people get promoted into these leadership positions because of their technical expertise, but no one's really taught them how do you have a difficult conversation? How do you work effectively with the people higher up than you and um, you know, just collaborating more effectively and, and why you should care. And that, <laughs> <Right>. so that's, <laughs> that's my sweet spot. I'm also very task focused, but have done really well in my pers- my professional life with collaborating and working well with others and managing up. Yeah. So it's been really fun to take my experience and, and be able to leverage that to help others. I think that's so important because it's such a good reminder that those skills are not innate. I think often, especially lately on the Boston podcast, I've been having quite a few conversations about, you know, hard skills versus soft skills as they're called, which I think does a disservice, quite frankly, to the, I was just going to say that (laughs) I hate that term because it makes it sound like a nice to have, but actually uh, there was a study done just before the pandemic in 2018 and there they there was this big survey of hr leaders and 68% of hr leaders reported having withheld a job offer to somebody wow. because of a lack of people skills yeah and then almost 80% of them said when they're doing searches for people that they're prioritizing yeah. the soft skills so if you want to move up or if you're looking to change jobs it's it's not a nice to have. It's absolutely something people are specifically looking for. It's how do you work with people? 
But I mean, thank God, because I think we've all had bosses in the past who were not people people. <laughs> yes. And it's hard. It's hard to deal when you've got, uh, you know, such a talented individual contributor, such a highly skilled, you know, tactician who suddenly finds themselves with 10 or 20 or 30, God forbid, direct reports, uh, there's a lot of learning to be done there. So A, I think it's important to underscore that those skills are learnable, they're teachable, they're practicable. Yes. <laughs> and B, you know, they're rare and valuable. So I want to take this angle from the perspective of someone whose boss perhaps is a little bit lacking in that department. You know, what do you do if suddenly you find yourself reporting to someone who doesn't seem to at least not showcase or prioritize those particular skills? How do you manage up? How do you communicate with a boss who's clearly a talented person, but might not be a talented people manager just yet? Oh, I love how you worded that just yet, (laughs) Uh, because there are a lot of managers who have great potential. I'll be honest, there are some who probably are never going to be great managers, especially if they don't (laughs) think that's a priority. But regardless of the situation, there's really a lot in our control to manage up effectively. And I've identified a few different kinds of bosses that we can talk about, Mm. and when One common thing I see is this dichotomy of either a micromanager boss or you've got the other end of the spectrum of a really hands-off boss. And I find that people who don't necessarily want to be a boss generally fit into one of those two categories. I love that. We recently actually asked our Instagram followers, which, you know, which would you rather be dealing with? The absentee boss who's like so hands-off, they might as well not be there or the micromanager. And both have their own unique set of challenges, don't they? They absolutely do. I'm curious. So what what did people overall prefer? I think they preferred the laissez-faire boss, but I feel like you only would say that if you've never experienced it. I think micromanaging bosses are just more common. So people are like, not that. (laughs) I I think so too. And uh, yeah, like you said, definitely pros and cons. So uh, micromanager bosses, they tend to not trust other people to do things as well as they imagine that they would be able to do them. You see this a lot when somebody internal has just gotten promoted and then gotten promoted. And so they've done these jobs that their direct reports are doing, and it's easy for them to compare. Wow, well, when I was in your position, I could do X, Y, and Z in half the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the, it, it's it's hard when you have somebody with that mindset. Um, and there was a, an experience I had, I got called in to do some team coaching with a group that had a leader who was just incredibly micromanaging. And what was really interesting is nobody had ever given her that feedback before. And when it came out in a conversation and it was worded very nicely, but that was the message was the micromanaging. And so we were able to, to dive a little deeper with the leader into what was behind that, what was driving her to be 
so particular. And it was, it was nice that we were all able to have a really positive, constructive conversation. And she shared that she was giving, getting a lot of pressure on this one particular project from her higher ups. And she had, there was a lot of expectation placed on her to be providing statistics and a lot of detail on an ongoing basis. And there was like a newer thing they were doing and there was a lot more scrutiny, a lot more risk. And she hadn't really described the pressure she was feeling to her staff. So all they were experiencing was that, oh my gosh, I just gave you that data and now you're asking for it again. And, you know, or sometimes she would send an email in the morning and say, I need it by the end of the day. And then at noon, she's like, I don't have the data yet. <laughs> and the employee is thinking, yeah. And you, I said, you know, you asked for it by the end of the day. But once they understood that she wasn't just being picky and critical, right, right. that she was just being reactive to the pressure she was getting, that helped them cut her some slack. And then they were able to have this conversation about, okay, so if this is what you're needing and the pressure you're feeling, what can we do differently to be more responsive? And then and they set some different deadlines and some processes around, you know, turnaround for these this kind of data. And then in return, the boss agreed that as long as her direct reports were following this new plan that she could trust that they understood the situation and she didn't have to keep hounding them because it was going to come. And it was a really cool process. It um, It's one of those things where sometimes like, oh, I don't know if you should try this at home because it can be a little yeah. <laughs> sketchy. It is really helpful to have an outside an outsider. party. <laughs> Yes. yes. But in absence of that, you can still have the conversation and, and just ask some questions of your boss of, you know, so tell me a little bit about why this is a priority, um, you know, and tell me how can I help you look good to the people you answer to? And once you get some of that why, then it feels like a collaborative partnership of let's figure out how to do this together. Yeah. It's so interesting. I think behind every micromanaging boss is a feeling of intense pressure and vulnerability. And it's Mm -hmm. often, you know, a symptom of vulnerability that has yet to be expressed. And I think sometimes middle managers in particular who feel the pinch of Mm -hmm. being, you know, reporting into their higher ups and having direct reports, looking to them for guidance, really can struggle in balancing expectations on both ends uh, and feel like no one has any sympathy for them. Yes. Right. Like the boss doesn't get any sympathy. No one cares if my high expectations aren't met. You know what I mean? It can be hard to say, let me level set with you. Here's the pressure I'm under. You know, here's what I'm going through. And it's also sometimes really challenging as a direct report who's frustrated and feels belittled and feels, you know, frankly, disempowered or patronized by a micromanaging boss to to actually try to extend some grace to that person and say, what is going on here? What's behind this? But it sounds like the emotional intelligence for doing that is is what can bridge the gap. Is that right? Definitely. And also people need to be open to 
is there something I need to change here? Because right. sometimes people get micromanagey because there's been a be- breach of trust. Totally. So you've got to ask yourself, have I been late with getting this assignment in in the past? Mm. And if the answer is yes, then you've got to acknowledge that, yeah, your boss is probably going to be more micromanaging around this deadline because there's a, been a reason to right. be before. And it takes a while to prove that again and to regain that trust. So it's not always about your boss. Sometimes it's absolutely about your own behaviors and attitudes. That is such an interesting point, right? Because it's easy to break trust. It's really hard to build it. Yes. Um, that's so interesting. I sometimes wonder if women get called micromanagery, you know, just because we're being demanding and, you know, having high standards. You know, sometimes I worry that we as women leaders run into unconscious bias that says like, "Ugh, I don't like the way she asked for that, that can be misconstrued uh, in an unfair way. But I was reminded that different direct reports want different amounts of specificity. Um, yes. recently, you know, our team, we just did a disc assessment with, um, a friend of the show, Michelle King, who's been on before. And what I realized coming out of that, cause I definitely tend more towards the absentee laissez faire boss manager style. You know, one of my direct reports really wants specificity in her delegated tasks so that she doesn't have to do it again, <laughs> mm-hmm. which totally makes sense. And so for me, I was actually called in to be more specific. And my initial instinct was, Ooh, I don't want to micromanage here, but really what people are asking for is clarity of expectation. So it was just interesting to recognize in myself as a woman leader, this hesitancy to sound too demanding by being too specific. Um, and I wonder if men, you know, if any man has ever thought that, (laughs) like, I don't want to be, you know, too demanding, God forbid, you know, actually, as you've been talking, I've been thinking about male clients I've had who who absolutely have worried about that. Yeah. I, I definitely think there are nuances to women leaders that are more challenging with mm-hmm. their gender. But in terms of a micromanaging boss, I see men and women doing it equally. Mm. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, we have more in common than we have apart <laughs> across the gender spectrum. And it's hard. It's hard to strike the right balance. So it is. What would you advise when it comes to that absentee manager? Yeah. So I recently was working with a client and they had just gone through another reorganization. And it seems like in her organization, like their national pastime is to reorg. So they've, they're always experiencing a lot of change and change in leadership. So she was with yet another supervisor. And this one was a lot more hands-off than she was accustomed to. And when we started working together, she's like, I I don't know if I'm doing a good job. I don't know what my boss expects. Like, I think I'm supposed to doing X. I, I don't know. And so what we did was we had her make a table of her duties as she understood them. And then, Mm. um, it, that was in a left-hand column. And then in a middle column, 
was what does success look like in those Mm. different areas? So for example, if one of her duties is to um, be an effective manager and helping her team to develop, then one success measure they could look at was a certain rating on her team's um, performance appraisals. Yeah. And so that there would be some accountability there that it wasn't all about just her team taking the initiative to do it herself. So Mm. we went ahead and and she completed this table and then she took it to her boss for feedback. And her boss was thrilled to pieces because she had, she agreed that there was just all this, you know, it was just so nebulous around her, the roles. And she had, some things she wanted to change, things she wanted to tweak, but overall just was relieved that my client had yeah. taken the initiative to do it. And then they both were able to look back to this document for, all right, is my client doing her job and is she mm-hmm. doing it well? I love that so much. We actually cover that in our Level Up Leadership Accelerator in an exercise we call Tasks and Standards. Mm. And we, we have everyone make a list of their role and all the responsibilities that come with it from their perspective. And, you know, what is the task I perform and to what standard, right? What, how do I know what success looks like? And for our team, that has been a game changer. The way I write my job descriptions when I'm hiring is so specific now. I'm Mm -hmm. like, here are all the things that you'll be responsible for. Here's what success looks like. And then every two weeks, which some might say is overkill, but Every two weeks, I meet one-on-one with all my staff for a half hour, and we just go through it. How's this going? You know, are we are we living up to our standards? Are we? It's basically a self-evaluation mm-hmm. um, and a conversation just to make sure if if scope creep is happening that we account for it, and if balls are getting dropped that we can also have a frank conversation about that too. But you know, some something that level of specificity is so. Um, I don't know, like they do in our level up program, my clients get a little worried that that's too specific in telling someone how to do their job. And we always come back to this point that clarity is kind, as Brene Brown says, right? Being super specific about what you think your job is and making sure that you and your manager are on the same page about that is so illuminating and in some ways liberating because once there's clarity there, then you can have creativity around how Mm -hmm. you make it happen. Exactly. And as far as the concern about, well, I don't want to be, you know, that sounds micromanaging to me that if you have your staff start it and, you know, be involved in creating it, then it's not going to be micromanaging. It's going to be something that Mm. you both put together. You're both are a hundred percent, you know, in agreement about it. And it's, it's a really great way to work with a hands-off boss. Yeah. And then there's another kind of boss that I want to talk about who's not hands-off and not micromanaging. Mm. Um, there's a too busy boss. Ooh. And you <laughs> I feel see this out already. <laughs> <laughs> this is the boss that has really good intentions, that yeah. is a great manager, but maybe is wearing two hats right now. And you see this when there's a lot of change in an organization and maybe they somebody got promoted 
but then they haven't backfilled. And so they're still kind of doing two jobs. And this was the case of one of my bosses. And what started to happen was on one hand, she was really hands off and she trusted me and my team Mm -hmm. to get things done. But then there were decisions that we needed and some resources that we had to have her sign off for. And she kept canceling meetings and I started getting frustrated. I started having stakeholders get frustrated because I wasn't getting them what they needed, but I wasn't getting what I needed to get it to, you know? Right. And so what I proposed to my, my boss was, uh, I want give me 15 minutes of your time. Yeah. And she's like, what? <laughs> and I said, yes, I propose a 15 minute meeting and I am going to give you a summary of where things are at, why things are stuck and Mm. what I need from you. And um, she didn't have time to read anything I sent her in advance. And let me tell you, it takes a lot to prepare for a 15 minute meeting. Like I would say (laughs) you're probably going to spend a few hours, but what you do is you have things summarized very briefly. And then what's the decision you need by when do you need it? And what is the impact of a delayed decision? Mm. And if, and if you can quantify it, like, in time, you know, a time delay or an unhappy customer or um, dollar signs, then that gets their attention. And then they're like, okay, yeah, I need to get you this decision. And my client was one who was very decisive. So I could usually get the decisions right then and there. Other people who need more time to think it through. But if you've explained the impact of a delayed decision still will be responsive and get back to you quickly. And once we had one successful 15 minute meeting, I had her sold and we just had one 15 minute meeting each week on the calendar. And she never canceled on me again because she knew that it was going to be worth her time. And that if she just gave me that 15 minutes, then I wouldn't bother her outside (laughs) of it. So the, the too busy boss, look at what you can do with those 15 minute meetings. And I promise they will love you for that. Um, I already love the sound of that. I hope my whole staff is listening because <laughs> I feel like, honestly, like your job as a manager often boils down to taking responsibility for making the tough calls. And when you are running around trying to wear 17 different hats, much less two, you know, mm. as a small business owner, yeah. like, yeah, two plus 20, you know, I just, I need to know what I need to know to make the decisions you need me to make. And that is, it just appeals to the very deep part of my disc assessment, Yes, <laughs> which is like, let's make some decisions. Let's get it done. Let's move forward. Uh, that is so interesting. What, what excellent advice. You know what I especially love about what you just said, Jennifer, is reminding us all that inaction is an action right? The choice to defer on making a choice has consequences. Mm -hmm. And I think very often in business, we forget that and things get pushed and things get busy, but being able to quantify the consequence of inaction (laughs) to a boss is such a leadership move at any stage. I think that's hard to do for someone who feels like they don't have the ultimate responsibility. How would you approach taking on that responsibility, communicating the consequences of your boss's inaction when that feels a little scary. It feels like calling someone out. 
It it does, but don't as long as you don't make it personal. So never say something like, "Yeah, you're you're really slowing down this project," or "You're not," you know. That sounds like you're attacking, and the person's going to get defensive. If yeah. you say instead that, "Hey, I know you have a whole lot going on, and we're starting to get feedback," you know, from people. And, and, you know, bring up some of the impacts that are coming yeah. up and just say, I just wanted to bring that to your attention. And here is what I propose so that we can move through mm. some of these updates more quickly. Yeah. And offering help, right? Like, here's how I can help us get there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And don't look at it. That's not a blame game. It's you're recognizing that of course your boss has accountability, but you sure. have accountability too. And when you said inaction is a choice, if you as an employee choose not to take action or mm-hmm. choose not to take responsibility for this thing that's getting overlooked or delayed, well, that's on you. You're just yeah. as accountable in this situation as the boss. I love that. Oh my goodness. Any last words of advice for folks who want to know how to begin managing up because it does feel outside of their, their purview. Sometimes I know a lot of our emerging leaders in the level up program, we're pushing them to start acting more like a leader, even before they have any explicit authority to do so. And I think this, this skill of managing up really falls into that category of expanding your identity and what seems plausible and possible for you to do. So any, any final words of how folks should even begin approaching managing up for any kind of boss they have? Yeah, I would say my top advice is to always be thinking in terms of what's in it for my boss. Mm. So anytime you make a request, let's say you need more resources. I, you know, one time I was at a nonprofit I had a role and over time I, I was doing the work of three people and I went to my supervisor who was very young and very inexperienced. And I said, I'm doing the work of three people. I'm working crazy hours. I'm super stressed. I, I need someone to help me. And she mm-hmm. looked at me and we were in an, one of those open concept working areas and she put her hand out, swept her hand across the room and said, who would you like me to fire so I can give you some support? Oh my God. Oh my goodness. I was so mad. I was so mad. Actually, I was so mad that I started job hunting and I was out like two two weeks later. And you know what? They replaced me with three people. And Oh my God. But here's my lesson learned. They replaced me with three people. Yeah. So that that means that my supervisor got to a place where she knew I wasn't kidding and right. that I really was doing the work of three people. What I should have done is she doesn't, most bosses, they don't care if you're stressed. They don't care what hours you're working. They don't care <laughs> that uh, that's like, oh, yay. So you have a new baby at your house. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. and what you need to do is put it in terms that your boss does care about. Mm-hmm. If I would have gone to my supervisor and say, Hey, I, um, I worked with a lot of, um, like attorneys, state attorneys general, very high profile people. If I would have mm-hmm. said, you know, I'm not getting back to the Utah Attorney General, um, in it's taking me 72 hours to respond to his emails. That looks 
poorly on our whole organization, right? right? If I would have said that, if I would have said, you know, such and such deadlines not being met or the quality of this thing that I just put out isn't, is about 50% of what I would have liked it to be to meet these needs. Mm -hmm. Now Mm -hmm. I've got her attention. So if you, whatever you're frustrated with, whatever you're asking for, just pause and think, okay, I'm going to put my emotional reaction aside and how can I phrase this in a way that my boss know what's in it for him or her and also how it's going to benefit the organization. Yeah. I do also just want to applaud your boss move of like brushing off the resume when a comment like that came your way. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes let's be real. Even if you put it in the perfect way, it's like not getting the response out of your manager that you would hope for. Um, and it can feel really vulnerable to say, I'm missing deadlines. I'm not getting back to people on time mm-hmm. because it feels like a personal failure failure instead of a system failure that it right. is. Yeah. And I remember our, our, my latest hire, Irene, our amazing programs coordinator here at Boss Step, she told me about a time when she had a job in a similar situation and her manager said, well, it sounds like you should come in on a Saturday or two. <gasps> to catch up and I had the same reaction and guess what she's not there anymore either and she wasn't there for even a year and I think sometimes we do need to vote with our feet if even the perfect phrasing doesn't work it's time to GTFO (laughs) Um, and so I'm glad you modeled that (laughs) absolutely and 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 no yeah sometimes it when it's an organizational culture or a boss's mindset, you know, in that case, I would think that Irene's former boss probably came in on Saturdays and probably did the kinds of things she just assumed, well, everybody should do this. And that's not a great fit. You want to find a a boss in an organization who has similar values to ones that you have. And that's when the values don't match. That's when it's time to look at an organization that is a better match. Absolutely. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing so much of your time and expertise with our listeners today. Where can they keep up with you and learn more about your great work? My website is ambitionleadership.com. And if you go to the events page, I host monthly leadership roundtables and they're complimentary. And it's where I get people from all different kinds of organizations and levels of managing and leading. And we take a topic and do a deeper dive with it. It's kind of a hybrid of Mm. peer coaching and um, some me, me doing some coaching. Some of the upcoming topics we have is um, the feedback sandwich and why it doesn't work (laughs) or um, getting your mojo back after burnout, which I know is something a lot of people are Mm -hmm. feeling right now. Uh, It's just a safe place to come and, and get some free coaching. So I would love to invite your audience to join in. That's again at ambitionleadership.com and then go to the events tab and you'll see the calendar of the roundtables. I love it. I will absolutely drop that link in today's show notes. Thank you so much again, Jennifer. It's been a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. For all of the links that we mentioned in today's conversation, head to bossedup.org slash episode 343. That's bossedup.org slash episode 343. 
And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. Today, I want to celebrate Deb, who is a recent alum of the Hired Job Search Accelerator. Deb just landed an awesome new role in human resources at Lucas Films. There, she'll be able to leverage her international upbringing and her experience working in Hollywood earlier on in her career to support international employees in particular. Deb has been such a dedicated, gritty job seeker throughout this challenging past year, and I am so excited for her to thrive in this new role. It beautifully combines some of her lifelong passions and her areas of expertise. So Deb, congratulations. I'm rooting for you, and we're cheering you on from Bossed Up HQ today. And now, boss, I want to hear from you. If you've got a boss move to share or a career conundrum you want me to break down on the podcast next, give me a call on the Bossed Up Podcast hotline at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. You can also send me an email or a voice memo at info at bossedup.org. We love featuring other voices on this podcast, so send me a vocal note. Send me a little voice memo. I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, tell me what you thought about our conversation today in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook. I'd love to hear what you thought about Jennifer's practical, tactical advice. If you have anything you would add when it comes to managing up, (laughs) Lord knows we could all use that advice. Uh, and what what questions you're left with still today in terms of navigating tricky relationships with your boss. I'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't found us there yet, just go to Facebook and search Bossed Up Courage Community, and we would love to have you join us there. Until next time, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose, and together, let's lift as we climb.